one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It reminds us of all that once was good. And the only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out is the Church of Baseball. White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly, on the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLS EM 890. Welcome into another week of White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890 and the Sox Radio Network. I'm Connor McKnight, and we've got you for the next two hours before we start the pregame show for Sox and Royals in Kansas City. Four games set, going to make up the rainout from a couple of months back. Monday, they're going to play that final matchup between these two teams. Today, you've got Miguel Gonzalez and Jason Vargas starting for the Kansas City Royals, which will be an interesting thing unto itself. Here's the plan for the afternoon here on White Sox Weekly. It's kind of a it's a special edition of the show because it's not it's not just me yammering on and talking with you uh, about the Chicago White Sox here on the show today. We're actually joined by former White Sox outfitter Brian Anderson this afternoon. What's up, Brian? How are you guys? I'm glad to be on. Fantastic to have you. Awesome that you're uh, that you're able to hang out for the afternoon. And you could not have picked really uh, well, as far as September goes, unless you're talking about playoffs, which we can't quite do that yet, you know, because some races are still playing out. A lot of news in baseball going on. You've got a, a suspension with the San Diego Padres happening. It's, it's kind of a big news weekend. We've got a ton of news. I mean, we'll talk later, I'm sure, about some people being accountable for their actions. There you go. Just like us players have to be. So I'm curious to see what we talk about. So uh, Brian, of course, uh, a, a White Sox player for a number of years, a top draft pick, a guy who got traded. I mean, you have a, a various amount of experiences that we get to talk about this afternoon. And you can join the show as well. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You can do the whole Twitter thing, too. At C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle for Twitter handle for myself. Uh, Brian, do you have a, a Twitter handle that you want to get out to the people? Yeah, I do. I made it a long time ago. Didn't give it much thought. It's WWBAD32. It's not as bad as, as it could have been. You know, yeah. you, you could have made, you know, something even worse. Well, Ryan Lochte stole my idea, and he hasn't really been the most stand-up guy as of late. No. So. <laughs> well, they, see, we get back to being accountable for your actions when we talk about Ryan That's Lochte. That's what this show's all about, right. accountability. It's, we actually, we were going to name it accountability, and then we just, we went with White Sox. We, Bob Grimm was like, nah, guys, I really want White Sox in the title, and we thought, okay, fine. Hey, what, what Bob says goes. He's he's the... Uh, he's the man. He's the big boss man over at the field, so you got to listen to him. We will also have White Sox center fielder and right fielder Adam Eaton joining us at about 345. We'll talk with the uh, White Sox contender for an American League gold glove, a guy who uh, knows what he's doing out there in center and in right and having a, a fantastic season both offensively and defensively. I believe we'll talk a, a number of things with Eaton, but, you know, Brian, you're a guy who's has been out there playing a little defense, and you what were you saying right before we started the show? You were looking at Eaton's numbers. They are remarkably similar to where they were last year offensively. Well, it's insane. I mean, he's having such a solid year. He's sitting right up there around 290, 285 this uh, this year, and it, every single year that guy just gets it done. And so, you know, for Adam, it's just one of those things where, you know, consistently consistency comes into play, and then you just want to maybe see if he can build on that, maybe add a few more stolen bases and. Geez, if he can add a gold glove to his resume, that'd be pretty great. Stolen bases are are something that I think, you know, Robbins talked about quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, and, and we've asked him about it at the, at the field, mostly in regards to Tim Anderson, who has just ridiculous amounts of speed and yet hasn't taken off on the base paths all that much. 
And I'm fine with that. You know, he's a rookie. He's got a lot of other things to learn. I don't need him having to learn how to steal bags at the major league level at this point in his career. But, man, you look at the potential for for a dynamic one-two, if indeed that's where Tim Anderson kind of ends up hitting. And with, you know, he's got a relative struggle getting on base, you know, being that kind of walk guy, he swings a lot. Uh, but you look at the havoc that those two could create, one-two, two-one, either way you want to slide them. That's some pretty impressive stuff and, and a nightmare on pitchers. Yeah, well, I had the privilege of uh, being in spring training a couple years ago with him, and I mean, he's far beyond his years at maturity. I mean, I know the White Sox probably want him to go and do some more base stealing and get on base more, but yeah. that's the tough part. When you get when you first get called up and he's getting a chance to go out there and shine right now, you're going to want to swing the bat. You want to go out there, you want to make things happen, hit the ball in the gap, you know, maybe stretch a double into a triple, hit a home run, make a great play at shortstop. So, you know, the, in the back of your head, no one ever says, other, if you're not Kevin Euclid, no one ever said, uh, <laughs> I can't wait to walk my way to the big leagues. Nobody, Kevin Euclid in his career never swung at a 3-0 pitch. I, I, I can't remember if I was. Usually Ozzy gave me the take 3-1, so take I just stayed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold it up there, Brian. Hold it up. Yeah, no, Kevin Euclid was one of those guys. He never swung. Not hyperbole at all. I, I looked through all the numbers. He had never swung at a 3-0 pitch in his major league career. No, two two guys, him and uh, Pedroia. I mean, sure. Pedroia, with how good he is and how dangerous he is, he never swings first pitch. Like 80% of the time, he takes the first pitch. We're going to have to talk a little bit about that with Adam, too, because there were some games being played last night with Chris Sale in the middle innings. That Royals team is a club that loves to swing and swing early. There were a couple of at-bats where they didn't actually held the bat on the shoulder a little bit, and I think that you know took Chris Sale uh, a little bit by surprise, which is tough to do. Sale came back and managed to you know pitch around a couple of troublesome innings. But those that Royals team is one that you know takes that uh, takes the aggressiveness to a different level at the plate. Well, they wouldn't be the first hitter off Sale to uh, think that if they just left their bat on the shoulder, right, that they have a better chance of getting on base than if they swung because. That guy's incredible. I mean, just watching his – he was into, like, the late teens or maybe around 120 pitches before he closed that game out. And, I mean, the ball moves so much at 94, 95 miles an hour. It just doesn't look very fun up there. He's been filthy all year and another gutty effort from him, another complete game. He leads the major leagues in complete games at six after last night's W, and uh, and he earned one, too, goes to 16-8 and eight on the year. You've got White Sox weekly, and we're going to take a break a little bit earlier than normal just so that we're on time for Adam Eaton on the other side for our uh, second segment here. Do want to tell you that the White Sox back-to-class pass it's available now, and for just 25 bucks, fans can attend all seven games during the final regular season homestand. Visit WhiteSox.com slash pass for more information or to order yours today. You've got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. Brian Anderson in with us for the afternoon. We'll be right back here on WLS. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890 and the Sox Radio Network. I'm Connor McKnight, and it's a special edition of the show this weekend uh, White Sox, former White Sox outfielder Brian Anderson on the show here for the uh, for the run of the afternoon. So, Brian, uh, we're going to get to talk to Adam Eaton in just a couple of minutes. Uh, he is scheduled to join the show. Looking forward to that. You're a guy who played, you know, outfield your entire career, right? I mean, it was kind of kind of uh, 2010. Uh, I converted. I tried to pitch with the Royals. Right, and, right, right. Yeah. Snuck a uh, year with them and made it up to AAA. Things were going great, but. You know, I've told people all the time, and especially young kids now, man, you got to protect your arm. It's uh, that's 90% of the battle for most guys that throw hard like I did. It's it's got to be healthy, or else you have no chance. Toughest part about the outfield that a guy who you know, if you played it in high school, that's great. Everybody did. 
toughest thing that we don't understand watching it from the outside? As far as playing the outfield? Mm-hmm. Um, I think people grossly underestimate like how tough uh, the lights are at nighttime. Really? And then, because uh, fans don't care. I mean, you, no, we don't. You're saying, you know, you losing a game because you lost the ball in the lights sure. as you're trying to track it down. They don't care. You're right. getting a beer thrown at you. But um, that and uh, probably twilight is really tough too, as the sun's setting. Um, you know, you're out there. The the sky starts to start, turn a little pink and. You're like, please, God, don't hit it to me. Like, just don't hit it, like, in right center because there's a little cloud coverage. It's gray, so it's really tough to pick up. I mean, it literally disappears. Uh, Melky has had a couple of great catches, even though the ball has gone through the lights at points this year. I know Adam, actually, who's going to join the show in a little bit, has had a couple of catches like that. i got to imagine that having it, losing it, and then trying to find it again is is pretty scary. Well, I don't care if you have a day in the major leagues or if you've been playing for 10 years or even like Adams got four or five years now. And it, nothing is worse than losing a ball in the lights because you have to a trust that it's going to come out and make a catch and B hope that you don't wear it off the face. So, and uh, I guess I should say C too, hopefully don't miss it and lose the game because the fans are going to be all over you. Right now it's a tough situation to be in. And one that I, I'm sure every outfielder has uh, worse lights that you've been in what oh, situations you've seen um you know i always would hear that uh boston was tough during day games for the sun but uh you know at u.s cellular or am i allowed to call it that anymore or? yeah no it is still uh, up until like november okay. 7th i think you're yeah, allowed it's, to call it's not, it US i mean cellular jermaine field. jermaine die always did a really great job with that so. sure sure uh let's head out to the phone lines now uh white Sox center fielder and right fielder adam eaton joins the show here on white Sox weekly hey adam good to have you Adam Harris. All right, we're still working on the uh, the. We have that. We lose him. We lost Adam. All right, we lost Adam. It's we're getting Adam sixteen. We didn't figure this stuff we out. We lost yet, him in the what? lights. We lost him in the lights. He went right through the lights out there in Boston, right field, and then uh, we got to reacquire him. He probably got called in to take BP. Maybe he's doing some extra flips in the cage or something. Could be that. Could be that. Uh, so as we as we go around the the Adam Eaton discussion and the the potential of winning a Gold Glove, I would imagine there's a number of things. Well, a number of things I want to ask him about and a number of guys in this league that we've seen this year, uh, you know, put their names up there for contention for gold gloves in that outfield. One of the guys obviously has been Adam Eaton. He has been superb. Uh, You know, you think back to some of the outfield assists that he's had, uh, especially in the first handful of months of the season, the White Sox were playing so many close games and whether it's his play in right field that starts a triple play against the Rangers um, guys still run on Adam Eaton and they still run on Melky Cabrera to a certain point. And I just, at times, I think the one thing that's caught me most off guard watching baseball every day, you know, doing this as a job for the first year, is how willing it seems teams are to make that outfielder make a perfect throw every time. They're almost more willing to do that than uh, than, than not run at all, like have the mistake happen. We'll, we'll get back to that in just a second. I think we're back with uh, with Adam Eaton. Adam, can you hear us? Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I can. I don't oh. know what happened last time, but I'm here. That's all right. That's all right. We appreciate the effort. Adam uh, Connor here, and then Brian Anderson uh, is with us this afternoon, so we get to uh, to hang out for a little bit. Adam, a couple of big wins. Uh, one against the Royals, a comeback job. I'm sure everybody had Carlos Sanchez pegged for his first home run last night against Kelvin Herrera. Uh, nice to get a couple of big ones under the belt. I'm sure. No, absolutely. It's uh, you know, whenever you're playing division rival, you uh, you definitely want to take games from those guys, and uh, especially late in the season, um, you know, every uh, everyone's a premium, especially when uh, you know teams are clawing their way trying to make a playoff run. So, um, you know, any win really uh, throughout the season is a good win. 
Adam B.A. here, man. How you doing? Um, just wanted to ask you, which uh, which do you prefer? I got to put you on the spot. I know you do a great job in center field, but you're dominating in right field this year, you know, throwing a ton of guys out, making great plays. What do you like to play the most? Uh, you know, that's kind of a tough question. A lot of people have been asking me that. Um, I, I, can, I can only give you, to be honest, the answer you probably don't want, and that's that I like both. Um, there, there's a simplicity to write that I really enjoy. Uh, you know, center fielders are, you know, in charge. They, they tell you where to play uh, as a right fielder. And, and uh, you know, when, when they put you in, in the position to be successful, uh, you, it's really a simplicity. You, you know, you run down baseballs. You, you try to get, a, you know, the best jump that you can. And, and, uh, and then the throws are pretty simple, too, as well. You know, they're, they're a little longer than left field, but uh, pretty defined uh, at throwing lanes. You know, when you're going to third base, the throwing lanes between – uh, you know, the pitching rubber and second base, it's pretty defined there. And then uh, even the second base, um, it, it's it's pretty defined as well as home, you know, between the mound or first base. You know, when you go to center field, throws a little more difficult. Um, you get less guys that run on you, uh, of course, because usually the ball's, you know, guys don't go first and third too much on guys, uh, you know, hit the center field. Um, but, uh, you know, throw home is a long one. you got to worry about a mound. Um, you got people, you know, trying to first baseman trying to run across the field and cut the ball off, so there's a lot more to it. Um, and then, like I said, with center field, uh, there's no simplicity at all. You know, you got, you're in charge of two other guys. Um, you're, uh, you know, worried about uh, how's this guy going to hit, how's this pitcher feeling, how's the hitter feeling um, in all aspects. You know, there's so many variables, and, of course, the score uh, and the weather um, goes into play. So, um, like I said, there's a lot that goes through your mind, and, uh, and like I said, I, I love the challenge of both. So, Adam, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, we were sitting down, you and I, at, at Sox Fest before the season started, and I'd ask you to take us through, you know, your every single thought that you go through as as a hitter steps into the plate and gets himself ready to go, and you walked us through every single thing that you think about, score, situation, win, cutoffs, possibilities, all that stuff. And it was amazing just to hear you go through each and every one. I'm sure B.A. knows exactly what that's like. Are those checklists, are those processes easier for you in one or another now that you've played so much of both this year? Um, yeah, again, the, like I said, the simplicity, you're right. Uh, my, my checklists are definitely a lot uh, different, you know, uh, when center field, I'm worried about where Melky's playing, uh, uh, depending on, uh, you know, how Melky's feeling that day, what's going on with his arm, what's going on with his legs, you know, um, his mind, all that you have to worry about when you, you place him, um, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to put Melky uh, too far in, you know, uh, if, if he's not feeling that good or too far back, if he's feeling too good, um, same thing with right field. It's been, you know, Avisil, it's been, uh, Coates, it's been a couple other guys and, and you have to play accordingly, you know, Avisil he can run, you know, very well and has a good arm. Um, but then you have to put him in a, 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 the best case scenario for him to be successful and to be aggressive. Uh, you know, have some simplicity over there for him as well, and not think too much. I think that's all outfielders do really well when they they try to have simplicity. You know, if if I have your back, say there's a ball hit the right center, um, this guy's you know playing the pole, and I, I move Avi in. I say you know be aggressive in front of you to the left. That's simplicity for him. He now knows that hey, you have my back. You know, I'm gonna you know cut cut behind you and have your back. You try to be as aggressive as you can in front of you because that's the high percentage play. Um, so as a right fielder, if if you know say Austin Jackson does that to me, then I can get the best jump that I can. So um, yeah, definitely like I said, a simplicity to to right because that center fielder is doing that thinking for me. Um, and then when you're in center, of course, you're doing that thinking and worry about you know again how how guys are feeling, what's going on, you know, cutoff men, uh, track. 
uh, like I said, <laughs> like last night, um, uh, the the rains, you know, a little bit before, so it was kind of wet, moppy, uh, you know, um, feel to it, and uh, that, that all kind of comes into play with where you want to play guys and how you want to play them in certain situations, who's running and, and vice versa. So there's there's a ton that goes into it. Now, Adam, you. You know, you have the luxury of having such a great arm and being able to play both spots. Do you ever find yourself, you know, playing maybe a step or two deeper because you have such a strong throwing arm? You know what? Uh, Cooper has has, uh, eliminated that thought from my process. he uh he he's a, a very firm believer and has made it known that he wants us to take the single away so um i like to try to be as aggressive as i can um in, in playing up uh and taking those singles away you know uh, there there are some balls that get hit over our head but 75 to 80 percent of the game is played in front of outfielders um and uh you know if coop says you know if it's hit over your head that's our fault it's not your fault so um it kind of makes my job easier you know as a right fielder if i'm playing far in you know i'm going to take those those uh you know those singles away those uh those um you know balls that are in front of me and of course if the ball is on the ground i can charge hard and uh you know your arm is going to look a lot stronger when you're you know 30 feet from the infield dirt and if you charge properly the way you should then uh like i said it's going to come out a little bit a little bit heavier than uh you know if you're playing a little bit deeper Talking with Adam Eaton, White Sox outfielder here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. With me, Brian Anderson. Adam, uh, Brian and I were actually just talking about how consistent your offensive numbers have been really over the last three seasons. They're, they're top-tier kind of stuff for for a guy like you who uh, who hits a, a good number of home runs, a great on-base percentage, a high average, uh, some steals too. Offensively, I, I, it seems you're pretty comfortable. Defensively, the gold glove is in conversation. I just wonder what you think about uh, – about offense and how it plays with the potential of winning a gold glove. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because um, as much as I would like to win it, I don't think I will. And, and, and the reason I don't is just because Mookie Betts has had such a great offensive year and, and is really a premier name uh, in the face of baseball uh, coming up. And, and uh, you know, uh, he's a great guy. He deserves everything he, he uh, you know, he earns. But, you know, offensively it does uh, definitely take a take a – a role in winning the gold glove if you look in the, in the past and and uh, there's nothing wrong with that you know um you, you know you, with with the glove you have to be able to hit and uh and you know that's just kind of how it goes do you do you think offense should play a part no i don't uh that's just me you know it's a it's a gold glove for a reason it's a I defensive agree. statistics I, I think that um you you if when whoever votes i think uh i believe the media told me it's statisticians and then the coaches and uh, coaches and managers vote and uh, again it, they have their own own reasoning why they vote for the way they do but at the same token like I said I think uh, it's a defensive uh, you know defensive uh, award and then uh, it should be only defensive metrics and that's how you should look at it but that's what it is we're with you I mean for what it's worth both of us here I, we're, we're, I think it's a defensive award and it should be awarded as such I mean I agree with that I might be I mean, he's putting up great offensive numbers this year. Mookie Mookie Betts is out of bounds right now. I mean, he's having yeah. one of those MVP type things. But I mean, in 2006, I think I hit like 200, so I couldn't expect to win it against Torrey Hunter. But I I do agree with you, Adam. I mean, you're hit right up there near 300. You know, you're hitting the ball well, getting on base, and uh, making some great plays in the outfield, man. So I'm pulling for you. 
I appreciate that. And like I said, I hope uh, hope I'm wrong. I do hope that. And uh, uh, but like I said, uh, look, he's a heck of a player uh, on both sides of the ball, and uh, that's kind of that's pretty hard to compete with. You know, he's uh, he's he's a special individual. So um, it, like I said, it's going to be he's tough competition when it comes to winning the, the Gold Glove. But at the same token, um, you know, you 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 do want to play for you know as individual awards. You, you, it's definitely team first uh, mentality. But you play for those awards. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you, if you win or lose those awards. You, you know, you want to be a consistent, solid baseball player, and uh, you, hopefully your team can uh, you know see that and and realize that um, that's your focus every day. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Adam, appreciate you hopping on. Thanks so much. Good conversation. Uh, there will be votes for you. You know that. And uh, and deservedly so. You've had a hell of a season. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Adam Eden, White Sox outfielder, joining us here on White Sox Weekly. We appreciate the time. All right, so, Brian, if, if I told you that the voting components for a gold glove were decided by the Rawlings Company, managers who are not allowed to vote for their own players, however, so, you know... He can't write vote for Mookie Betts, and Robin can't vote for Eaton. And a sabermetric component provided by Saber that accounts for 25% of the vote. Well, two things. <laughs> I heard wrong with that. Adam better hope he wears a uh, Rawlings glove or he's automatically out. I, I think he does. I can't remember. We should have asked that. I just looked that up. He, he just got a new one. I know that. It's got some camouflage on it. Looks and again, cool. I mean, I, I thought I did pretty well in center field when I was out there, but offensively, I mean, I wasn't even in the same ballpark as some of those guys winning them. Adams, you know, having a solid year, if not better. And it's just funny to me. It's like, think about football. I mean, if Tom Brady throws an interception, but makes a great tackle, I mean, does he get to win like defensive player of the year award? I mean, it's like <laughs> how offense and defense are mixed whatsoever. It, it just doesn't. Uh... It bugs me. And it's bugged me since I'm a kid that we have a gold glove award. And I'm like, Oh pop, what's the, what's the gold glove award for? Oh, that's the best defensive fielder at his position. What's the silver slugger for? Well, that's the best hitter. How? Why is the we've got two awards? And one thing we haven't talked about too is you know the White Sox aren't playing their best ball this year. But um, if, if the better your team's doing, you know the better more recognition you're going to get, more more time, more TV time, and that's hurting Adam right now, whether he'll admit it or not. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll get to that after the uh, four o'clock news here. I, I I will at least buy that as a conversation point, as opposed to you know having to put offensive numbers into this Gold Glove conversation. But uh, that's for a discussion for uh, well an, another six minutes or so. We got to step aside <laughs> for the four o'clock news. You got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM eight ninety. WLS AM eight ninety. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and with me, Brian Anderson, former White Sox outfielder, former White Sox pitcher. Can I call you a – how do you feel about that? Former White Sox minor league pitcher? I mean, who's right I, 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 I didn't pitch for the White Sox, though. I pitched oh, right. for – um, geez, I bounced around so much because my arm was killing me. But the, the crazy thing was signing a uh, split big league deal with the Yankees in uh, 2011. What is a split big league deal? That was basically saying. I'll be honest, I don't know what that one is. Come, you're going to be in big league camp as a pitcher, which for me, just converting, that was incredible to be yeah. able to go play for the Yankees. You know, the most storied franchise in the history of the game, and you know, here I am. I got a locker with. Uh, it was funny. Ironically, Nick Swisher was there, a couple down, and Jeter oh. and A Rod. Those guys were right there. At Neil Cotts was right next to me, battling a knee injury. So. Freddie Garcia was there. Bartolo Colon was there. So oh, geez, it's like a, reunion. a lot of old faces. Yeah. So 
I wouldn't say former White Sox pitcher, but, you know, That's someone true. who lurked for a few lurked. years. Yeah, there, was, there was lurking. There was absolute lurking. Yeah. A lot of guys can't lurk. A lot of guys don't get a chance to lurk. So, yeah, that's something. Well, I threw 100, so I lurked. It's just that I, I just threw 100 you, every four days, and I wasn't Velo a starter. <laughs> lets you lurk. That's absolutely what it does. Uh, 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to get in touch and join us. We just had Adam Eaton uh, call the show and hang out a little bit, so we got to do a little gold glove cleanup work. But I do also have to tell you that you can join us for the White Sox Bags Tournament on October 1st at US Cellular Field. How are, how are you at bags? You got a good bags game? I played uh, this, I think last year I played with my family and I had a blast. I mean, we had a couple uh, adult beverages and yeah, played some bags. Absolutely. And got competitive in our family. My mom got pissed. and That's that's a bags tournament. That's thing. bags. That's, that's what you did. You did it right. Did you not, are bags, because you're an Arizona guy, are bags an Arizona thing? They're a very Midwest thing. They are a, I don't know if they're in other places. They are a uh, Arizona thing in the shade. Sure. During the summer. Otherwise you'll die. You cook outside in the uh, summer if you try to play that out, outdoors. I was, my first job out of school was covering college football. And we went down to one of the, we went to Arizona State before we went to Arizona, but we made our way to both. And I was looking at the, the practice times. We were going out to cover practice. And it said 9.30 p.m. And I'm like, well, this is this is a typo. Why would they have a practice at 9.30 at night? And it very quickly made sense to me because it's 1,000 degrees during the day and people would die. And the joke was still on you because it was still 99 degrees. Still not, but the humidity, it was, a, it was a dry heat. You know, it's funny you guys say that out here. I, I've been hearing that Does a lot since anything? I've been back in Chicago. And it's the, my response to them is uh, turn your blow dryer on low. And put it in your face, and you tell me how that dry heat feels. You like so. that? That feel good deal? <laughs> uh, anyway, October 1st, U.S. Cellular Field is the White Sox Bags Tournament. You can grab a partner and come out to our tournament, see if you can win the tournament, and take home a cash prize. It's a cash prize. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash bags. All right, so a couple of things that we were talking about with Adam Eaton, uh, mostly about the gold glove, because I think the guy is absolutely going to get votes the only reason not to, he is second in the major leagues in defensive runs saved. He is second to Mookie Betts, unfortunately, who plays right field, who is having a fantastic season for the Boston Red Sox. And the Red Sox are a team that have a, well, the AL East is ridiculous, but the Red Sox are going to make the playoffs. Absolutely. So a couple of things stacked against you. And we were going through, Adam, Adam True was, had been asking about it, and I've been asking about it. Here are your voting rules. Brian Anderson, former White Sox outfielder. You go ahead and break these down, rip them apart, or build them up if you like them. Voting rule number one for the Rawlings Gold Glove Award. It represents overall fielding excellence and is not awarded based solely on fielding metrics and statistics, nor does it factor offensive production. I'm I'm still waiting to hear all the rules until Uh I chime in. All right, fair enough. Only the manager and his coaching staff on each Major League Baseball team vote. Uh, person, Each person must sign the completed ballot in order to consider valid. Managers and coaches cannot vote for their own players and can only vote for players in their own league. Makes a lot of sense. I can't stand it in the college football rankings. When you get the coaches poll, they get it sent out to other people who haven't watched the thing anyway because they don't want it. You, you wouldn't want Joe Madden voting on an AL Gold Glove Award. He doesn't see the AL that much. No, that's true. I mean, no everything's problem. lining up. But again, uh, Adam... Is not a stupid man. He understands that. Very much. You know, even though he's having a great year offensively, solid, to say the least. I mean, Mookie Betts is having a 
an MVP type caliber caliber of year. I mean, he's, he, I mean, look at Dustin Pedroia's stats back in 2008 when he won it, Carlos Quinton got hurt. And I think Petey had, uh, you know, upper teens and home runs, maybe around 20. Um, I don't have the stats on me, but he won the MVP and I'm, I'm looking at Mookie Betts numbers this year and it's like, why not him? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess the rest of the rules are just about eligibility. It's, uh, you know, players will be slotted in left field instead of just three general outfield. You don't want all three center fielders out there. you got to recognize the corner positions because they're different outfield positions. You can speak to that. And uh, the rest are just major league minimums and stuff. I, You know, it, it's weird to me that, you know, we've got coaches voting for this thing, you know, managers and coaching staffs. And some of the old school will tell you, and I'm not necessarily demonizing the old school. You know, I, I am a numbers guy. I, I do kind of lean toward that sabermetric stuff. That's just the way I do it. I know others don't, and that's totally fine because it's the melding of both that brings us to where we got the game right now. But I, I just don't see a – all right, Derek Jeter won a handful of gold gloves at shortstop. I knew you were going to bring this up. Why wouldn't I? I again, I, it, all were, it does is validate what everyone else thinks as far as right. that, that just goes to show you how popularity – you're having a bigger name, getting more TV time, getting more, you know, highlight on the highlight reels, and then you're having great years offensively. It's just, it's almost like clockwork. It just, you know, maybe it's the separation between the Ray Ordonia. Maybe it's the separation between the Gold Glove and the Silver Slugger. But a guy like Ray Ordonia's, who could not hit a lick, not even a little bit, like he took a wet noodle up to the plate. He was one of the best defensive shortstops I've ever seen. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It, and that's sad. I don't agree with it whatsoever. But Because trust me, we all know the White Sox fan were just as frustrated at me as I was with myself. I mean, if I could have taken away anything from the 2006 season, if I didn't have enough at-bats, or maybe I did, but that gold glove would have been so nice just to say, okay, I did something this year. You contributed positively. Yeah, other yeah. than hit two something and, you know make Greg Walker, you know, have a heart attack. <laughs> Pull his hair up. Three gold gloves for Ray Ordonez. He should have won one for every single year he played more than likely. Uh, we will get to uh, your defensive numbers. And as they pertain, I want to ask you as a, as a former player, as a guy who has been uh, in and out of lineups specifically, because, you know, when you're asked to evaluate your performance as a player, I would imagine that as you go through different clubhouses, you're asked to look at different things. And and emphasis is emphases emphasize, emphasize. N- neither of those yeah emphasize clearly that uh, are put on different aspects of the game. So when you start doing that, you start learning you know how other organizations kind of value some things. Maybe you look at yourself as a player a little different. We'll get to that in just a second. Three one two five nine one eighty nine hundred. It's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We will be right back here on WLS AMA ninety. Steve Dahl, weekday afternoons 2 till 6 on WLS AM 890. No, Brian, I know that I can't go out there and run down a fly ball. Uh, that part of much, I've, I've come to learn that about myself. You're in great shape, man. We, we, you never know. We'll see. As, as good a shape as I might be, I can't read a thing. I can't read a fly ball. You look gazelle-like, man. I look at you and I look like that guy runs. Yeah, no, wheels weren't a problem. Always had the wheels, but could never, just could not get a track on it. Wherever I felt like the fly ball was going to go, I ended up running to the wrong spot. I was an infielder. Or, hey, go strike out a couple of times too and then go play center and see if uh, see if that it makes you a little drag more that nervous. bat with you. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, you got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor. It's Brian Anderson, former White Sox outfielder. We promised a couple of things. Brian and I actually, uh, we, we had a pre-show meeting on the phone yesterday afternoon. Was it yesterday? Did we talk yesterday? Yeah, I mean, it was yesterday. 
We were uh, we were talking a little about defense because you know we knew we were going to have Adam Eaton on the show and we, we had this whole Gold Glove conversation going on. And you were I, I don't mean to put your business on the street or anything, but you were pretty up on your 06 on your 06 season defensively. Like I said earlier in the segment, I mean, when the season ended, I'm like, can I please just get a high five or something for my defense? Because offensively, I underachieved. So I looked it up, and I want to know how much you feel players now, players when you were playing, kind of valued and or looked at sabermetrics. Um, a guy that I've talked with a couple of times, Chris Archer with the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, he came up in an organization, well, first with the Cubs and then moved over to the Rays for quite some time. And the Rays are... This super sabermetric organization, they anything you want data-wise, they'll get you. And I know a lot of teams are like that now, too. And and Chris has a pretty good understanding of, of what all this stuff is, but also what he does want to know and what he doesn't want to know. And I think a lot of players are getting to that point now where, you know, there are a couple things that you do want to hear, a couple things that you don't, because you can overcrowd your head with stuff. I mean, if you told me... Everything about, you know, the ratings and this and that. I, I wouldn't want to go do my work now with all that in my head. Well, pregame meetings and um, pre-series meetings for teams you haven't played, especially if they're on a roll or it's, you know, you're in interleague or something, you absolutely want to soak in some information, mostly for us, about the pitcher. Sure. Um, defensively, you go over some guys that are big-time shift guys, you know, guys that are dead pole or, hey, you know, maybe play a few steps in because even if he hits the ball over your head, he's got a bad leg or something, he's not running well. But, uh yeah, that whole term paralysis by analysis, you sure. can go on information overload, which I did as a young player. I never thought about anything. And I w- got to the big leagues, and there was all this information at my disposal, and I almost focused so much on the negative that even Frank Thomas, my rookie year um, in, in the minors, grabbed me. He was on a rehab assignment, and he said, uh, you know, you always got to watch positive. He's like, why are you watching that bats where you're swinging and rolling over? And I said, well, because I want to see what I'm doing wrong. He goes, why don't you watch what you're doing right? And, I, I mean, it's just so hard. It's such a filthy habit, though. Yeah. You want to go in there. And I remember Ozzy used to get all over us because he's old school. They didn't have video, like, re- replay during each at-bat. Every at-bat, bad or good, I'd always go back there and watch it. And it was kind of like, what am I doing? After I look back now, I was like, what are you doing? I mean, like, I would go up there sometimes thinking, you know, the, overanalyzing my swing. And I, 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 it's only been one at-bat. So um, that information is great, but... Again, it could be uh, a little bit crippling. Well, I would imagine that that things like general trends are probably more helpful for players to know. You know, knowing, for instance, that, you know, the 1-1 pitch is such a huge swing in an at-bat. You know, the difference between your averages, a player's averages, not even, you know, a a one guy specifically, but, like, the batting average swings by 70 points if you're 2-1 as as opposed to 1-2. So just kind of knowing that kind of stuff... I would imagine helps on a larger level. Sure, like we talk, talked about earlier. I mean, those pregame meetings. I mean, we we heard a stat, and it still blows my mind because of how good he is. Yeah. Um, he never gets off on that first pitch. Is uh, Dustin Pedroia? I mean, we had that meeting. I think it was like in the mid 70 or 80th percentile. He does not swing first pitch. So as a pitcher, starting yeah. pitcher, if you throw a ball first pitch. I mean, you're not even trying. I mean, you're killing the <laughs> yeah. team. I mean, not. I mean, not to say no one's perfect. I mean, you can't well, throw a sure. strike every time. But he's literally saying, throw it down the middle. You get me 0-1. And you know, being an 0-1 is astronomically better than being 1-0-2-0. I mean, that's when bad things happen. Especially on a guy like Dustin Pedroia, where you know that he will hurt you with power, especially when we're talking about you know in that 0-6, 0-7, 0-8 range. I would imagine that you're mm-hmm. seeing a scouting report from him. 
he'll pound you for a home run if he can. He'll I mean, get you, especially in that ballpark. An MVP. You, can, you yeah. can chuck a ball out of left field there. So you said that you uh, you wanted just a little bit, just a little bit of something for the center field play in, uh, in 2006. All right, here's what I have for you. The UZR 150 for you in 2006 in center field. It's the ultimate zone rating. It's, it's a large sample size stat. It likes to take a look at as many, just for people who don't know what it is, for listeners who are you know, more on the uh, just kind of catching up with some of this stuff. And keep in mind, I don't even know what that is. And that's, so you don't I've have seen to. Before, you you so. played it. You know what I mean? So the, it's it's a it's a large it's a zoom out kind of thing to your outfield play. Your UZR 150 measured at an eight that season. That's I don't good know what that for is. a center. It's good for a center field. Okay. It's fine. It's good. What you're gonna want to hear is that Tory Hunters in 2006 was a negative nine. And he got the Gold Glove, right? You were indeed. A better outfielder by measure of a UZR 150 than Torrey Hunter in the 2006 season. Well, there you go, guys. Does that I mean, make you feel good. It just goes to show you. But then again, Torrey Hunter, one of my favorite guys to play against and have the pleasure of watching. You know, I mean, the competitive aspect when he was in Minnesota was right. so much fun. But I mean, while him and Ichiro were kind of lurking in the outfield, as long as they were healthy, having a solid season, they're going to get they're they're getting the Gold Glove award. Yeah, I mean they're not the same with Griffey. When Griffey was healthy, might as well chalk that up. And I, and I think some guys do get to a point. You know, we we said that this this game has so much of a a heritage to it, you know, kind of a, a tradition to it that I I don't think that you know eschewing all of them and just kind of getting rid of all of these traditions are, are necessarily the right things to do. But I, I do like the idea of turning just a couple of things on their heads and really making sure, like, okay, just for instance, I know, I know I keep coming back to this. We have a Gold Glove Award, and we have a Silver Slugger Award. Those two things are not opposed necessarily. I mean, the same guy can win both, but let's award one for one thing and one for the other. Absolutely. I mean, I, I one thing they stressed to us when we were playing the outfield, we had a great group of outfield coaches. We had, um, you know, Daryl Boston was out there. Harold Baines used to hit us countless fly balls, and... I remember they'd pull me aside because as a young outfielder, I, I would bait runners to run. I had a great arm. Right. I would almost say in the back, you know, without saying it, I'd take my time or take an extra couple steps. We've seen Melky do that a bunch this year. And because, I mean, he's and good at guys. it. Yeah, he was very accurate too. But then you start realizing what a perfect throw it takes to nail a runner at, you know, any given bag. And then another thing is the coaches used to come up and they finally told me Aaron Rowan was great at this too. Aaron Rowan, you know, great outfielder. Doesn't have a phenomenal arm. Good arm. Not yeah. great. But he did such a good job of getting to the ball so quickly that it's the main thing a, a third base coach looks at is not how great your arm is. I mean, he knows. But if you're lagging on a ball and that runner's about to hit third base, he's sending him. But if you get to that ball so quickly that you're coming up, I mean, even a guy like Johnny Damon, who is not known for his arm. I don't. I love the guy, so I don't want to rag on his arm right. too much. But I will. that he's guy was chucking grenades. Thrower. He's a chucking grenades out there. And – but if he got to the ball quick enough, all it takes, you just got to fool the third base coach just enough to, for him to put his arms up. Johnny also needed Manny Ramirez to not cut him off from deep left field. You'll never see that play again. That was the most athletic thing Manny Ramirez has ever done. Yeah, he was professional jogger, but he was good. That was the most athletic thing I've ever seen him do. Uh, with MLB.TV Premium, you can watch every out-of-market game live in HD on more than 400 supported devices and enjoy a free subscription to AtBat Premium. It's the number one app for live baseball. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv. Uh, we got a couple of things to get into in the second hour of the show here on White Sox Weekly. And obviously one of the big things is the story coming out of San Diego, which uh, tangentially does affect the White Sox 
if you haven't seen it, and Brian, I know, we, we, you know we've both read through it, and it's it's a couple of days out now, but Buster Olney of ESPN broke this story, and it's been since uh, reported and supported by a couple other guys uh, writing about things, and A.J. Perler has been subsequently suspended for 30 days without pay. Apparently, the San Diego Padres were withholding information regarding injuries to their players, and according to Olney's reports, they were doing this because they felt they'd get an edge in trades come deadline time. For a team like the Padres that's trying to rebuild after going all in two seasons ago and not getting close to what they wanted, they were obviously going to be in that situation where they're selling off a couple of pieces and trying to put together a future. One of the guys they got, a top pitching prospect from the Red Sox, came over in a Drew Pomerantz trade where Pomerantz you know, has a couple of question marks around the bill of health that the Red Sox were pretty upset about. This is This is a big story in baseball, and I don't think – you know, we'll, we'll get into this after the 430 news, but I, I don't think we're done hearing about this. No, I mean, it's going to snowball, um, especially if Drew can't pitch. I mean, if something, you know, in the next year or so happens where he has to have, um, you know, shoulder or elbow surgery or whatever it may be, it's crazy stuff because as players, we all sit back and, you know, in any sport, you know, as a professional, you sit back and you wonder, you're like, well, how come, you know, if I go 0 for 10 or if I have a terrible month, I, I could get sent down, I could get benched. You, know, you see umpires sometimes you, they blow a ton of calls or you know they're they're just doing a crappy job and nothing seems to ever happen and then now you get into the front office aspect of it and you know it's tricky because no no one wants to ruin a trade i mean the boston wants drew pomeranz and then san diego wants that prospect but i don't think that aj preller needs to sit there and you know go on the streets and dance and hold up a sign saying hey could possibly be troublesome could could have rotator cuff damage down the road right but when you're disclosing medical reports, you better be pretty transparent or you're going to get suspended. And I think as more information comes out, uh, it could only be bad for A.J. Preller. We'll fill you in on some of the details when we get back. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to chime in on the conversation? He's Brian Anderson. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got WLS AM 890. WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. He is former Major League outfielder Brian Anderson hanging out for the afternoon. Appreciate you uh, chilling for the second hour of the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here. It's all, I mean, I you keep had your hearing. chance to jet. No, I keep hearing from everybody. It's like you got to get you got to go do something outside. It's the last, you know, couple of last weekends of the summer, but it's been like this every weekend. It has been really nice. Yeah. It has been unbelievably nice. Let's talk in December, right? Yeah, it's it's not <laughs> going to be so good. Uh, yeah, the last couple weekends at the ballpark at, at U.S. Cellular have been picture perfect for baseball. It's been that really, you know, that like 72 with just a little bit of wind and not, uh, that's just perfect stuff. I know. So it's a it's a bummer the White Sox aren't uh, ten games over five hundred. It right would now. be it would be great if they were, and yet there they sit at seventy two and seventy five after a win against the Royals last night. Chris Sale uh, with another complete game, his sixth major league leading sixth complete game. And uh, uh, let's do this real quickly here before we get into the AJ Preller stuff with San Diego that's uh, affecting the White Sox to a certain degree too. Sale last night, and you mentioned this at, at some point when we were talking. Uh, Sale last night has thrown now 11 straight starts over 100 pitches. He is back out there in the, you know, 100 teens, something like that, coming back out for the, or to finish the ninth. Got into a, a, a base runner on. He walked out Sadie Saskibar, which you kind of have to try to do, but walked him no less. Struck out Chesler Cuthbert, struck out Powell Orlando, and the ball game. Sale has, I think, 
this season, you know, thrown to a point where, you know, there's this hybrid approach that we've talked about with Don Cooper a couple of times on the pregame show. He's striking out fewer batters, but being stronger and getting deeper into the game. You know, I got to imagine that as an outfielder or as anybody behind Chris Sale, knowing that that ball is going to get put in play uh, for a much higher percentage of the time has to be to a certain degree more comfortable for those guys. I mean, I sat there last night, I was watching the game and I, watching Chris Sale pitch and it's like if you're Don Cooper what do you do I mean you want to protect the guy sure but you're you're certainly not going to walk out there and take the ball out of his hand in the, you know the bottom of the ninth he has a complete game but it's it's crazy how much that guy's uh, his ball moves I'm watching him and I saw Orlando strike out Paulo Orlando strike out to end the game and mm-hmm. it just goes to show you if anyone wants a an idea of how tough Chris Sale is watch the very last pitch of the game because Paulo Orlando is having a you know, solid year coming yeah, off is. the bench. You know, he, he's way better than I ever thought he was going to be. I mean, this kid w- used to be with us, you know, when I was playing with the Sox, and we used to just put him into pinch run because he's so fast. Very fast. And if you're a fan and you're like, hmm, man, you know, I, I could probably get a hit off Chris Sale, I want you to watch at the pitch Paulo Orlando swung at to end the game last night. It was 73 feet outside. <laughs> it was a 3-2 pitch. How do you took it? I mean, then we got action because the, right. the tying run's coming up now the back. First and second. That, that should answer your question on if Chris Sale's one of the top three pitchers in baseball. He just threw a pitch that should have went to the backstop, and he swung at it because he thought it was probably going to catch the outside corner. He's been filthy. He's been filthy all season. There have been hiccups here and there, but you're going to have those, I think, with anybody. I mean, even your top tier, your top flight guys will have a rough one now and again. I just, you know, with, with Sale being, what is he, 27 years old right now, I think, a couple of years left on the current deal, he has been in the top, I think it's top six of Cy Young voting every single year that he's been in the White Sox starting rotation, obviously two where he's thrown out of the bullpen. The the AL Cy Young conversation is kind of a convoluted one. It's it's kind of, you know, there are a number of guys at a certain level, but nobody that's kind of taken over. There's no Verlander in 2010 kind of guy that leaps out to you. Zach Britton has been absolutely fantastic closing games for the Baltimore Orioles. I just, I don't know that a reliever can never win a Cy Young over a, a closer that's got, you know, the kind of bona fides that either a Michael Fulmer does, that a Chris Sale does. I, I don't know if I can vote for a reliever. Well, I mean, I think uh, my former pitching coach, Mark Davis, won it at the Cy Young, uh, either with the Padres or the Royals. But, yeah, I mean, you get in that conversation, this just goes back to what we were talking about with the gold glove with Spanky and uh, Mookie Betts. Right. It's like you get these teams that, are so astronomically different and they're they're playing so much better than the other and the White Sox aren't playing as well as they should be this year and that that's going to hurt Chris Sale in the votings. It, it's sad but true. I mean, you get these guys on teams that are right borderline on the cusp of making the playoffs or are going to make the playoffs and whether the people voting will tell you and divulge that information that that plays into account, it, it just does. I mean, it always has been. It, it has since I played. It still is and that's not going to change, which stinks for Chris Sale because, in my mind, I mean, between I, I've been saying it for the last few years. Him and Kershaw, I mean, you, you try to fake an injury if they're in. Do something. <laughs> Get out of there. Get out of the game. The uh, Your guy, Mark Davis, won the NL Cy Young in 1989 with the Padres. He was a reliever. He saved 44 games that year through 92 and a third and two-thirds innings. Now, that's a little different. I mean, if you're working in that 100-inning category, that's a lot. That's a, How many outings did he uh, He had... He worked in 70 games, which is quite a bit, and he finished 60-something of 65 of them. Uh, Greg Maddox 
finished third that season. He was, and, and win-loss, I think, measured a lot more in 1989 than they do now. I mean, you saw Felix Hernandez win it. He was 13-12, and 12, I think, in 2011 and won a Cy Young, and he should have. I mean, his numbers are fantastic, yeah, and the Mariners strikeouts were terrible. And, and, and ERA was probably negative six. So. Yeah, it was fantastic. And the Mariners were awful. They couldn't score a damn run for him, so, you know, you put it away. Uh, although Oral Hershiser that season probably should have been the guy to win it. He was 15-15 and 15 with a 2-3-1 ERA and struck out. Let me check the number. Yeah, everyone he looked at. He struck out everyone he looked at. Just a sh- just a shade under uh, four or five hundred strikeouts. Yeah, year. it was right. it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, Want to get to a couple of well, let's get to the AJ Preller stuff now uh, and 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 kick this off. Uh, we mentioned the report that was out with the suspension that happened as well. And if you're just tuning in or if you're just kind of catching up this weekend on some of the baseball news in the world, AJ Preller, San Diego Padres general manager, has been suspended 30 days without pay, um, starting now, I guess, effectively. The problem that the Padres got in trouble for was that they were separating their medical information into DL stints, basically the stuff that if you were on the disabled list, if you had a an injury that you couldn't avoid, you know, that they couldn't avoid talking about, you broke a leg, you shattered a hip, you pulled a hamstring right off. If you were on the disabled list, that went into one pile. If you're getting treated for a little forearm tightness, if you had a hammy grab at you a little bit, if you fouled one off your shin had that giant shin burger form underneath the pad. They, they weren't talking about that so much. They, they were putting that in a different pile. And trainers, who were uneasy about this with the Padres, were told to put it in two different categories. Now, as the San Diego Padres go to make trades, James Shields to the White Sox, Colin Ray and Andrew Kashner to the Marlins. Colin Ray eventually, in his first start with the Marlins, developed elbow tightness, had a problem, needs Tommy John surgery. He got returned to the Padres. I, I can't remember. I mean, I, I'm 30, but I, I can't remember a guy getting returned that quickly in a trade ever before. And then you've got Drew Pomerantz, the blockbuster trade that you, that you mentioned, Brian, going to, to the Boston Red Sox and being a guy that's supposed to get up to the top of that rotation with David Price and pitch to a level that's, you know, propels them into a, a postseason berth, all that stuff. There are big issues here. And I think None the least of which are the fact that I, I don't know that these punishments are strict enough for A.J. Preller and for the San Diego Padres. To, to suspend a GM 30 days without pay, a GM that's on a non-competing team for these 30 days in a season, what the heck is he going to do for the next 30? What does he have to do? Well, he the lives World in San Series Diego, end, so I, mean, I know what he's going to do. Yeah, so he's going to have a great old time. <laughs> but what job-wise, he doesn't have anything to do until the World Series wraps up, and even five days after that. I mean, right now, it's the least busy time that a GM could possibly have. Well, let's be honest. He doesn't have anything to do for the next three to five years, probably, because San Diego's not going anywhere in the next few years, especially, especially since they went fire sale in July. But That's true. You couldn't be more accurate. I think that this 30-day suspension was just something to show the Red Sox, like, hey, we did something about it for now. Right. And I think once the investigation starts uh, and they start digging a little deeper, they're going to start interviewing trainers. They're going to interview players. And, uh, you know, baseball is a tight-knit family. And I think that what happens in the clubhouse should stay in the clubhouse. But unfortunately, when you document things on paper and you make copies of stuff and they start asking for certain things, unless you have an abnormally large paper shredder in the back, um, you're going to have to give these up. So, I mean, does every team hide some things? I'm sure they do. I mean, I I wouldn't care. I mean, if I, you know, San Diego didn't tell me and I was with Boston, didn't tell me that 
well, hey, you know, he he did break his pinky toe or in the offseason, but he's fine. I don't care. I mean, mm-hmm. I care about what's going on with major stuff. Does this guy have hip mobility? You know, what's going on with his shoulder, elbow, um, any stuff in the past? Did, was he put on the DL? Like something like, you know, seven games where he sat out, but they didn't want to DL him because they right. didn't want to lose him. Right. So the bullpen picked it up. You better believe that better be on paper if he had a flexor strain or something. And I, and I just, you know, we get to a point where, the Boston Red Sox needed Drew Pomerantz, right? And the Padres wanted to reload. And there are situations like that every season. I think back to um, the the trade that made the most sense at the time for me in the last handful of years. The Yankees weren't going anywhere. They had Michael, Pen- uh, they had uh, Jesus Montero, who didn't have a place to play. The Mariners weren't going anywhere. They had a lot of pitching. They had Michael Pineda. It made the most sense in the world to flip those two guys. Now that trade, you know, went absolutely off the rails once Jesus Montero discovered ice cream sandwiches and you know, ate a couple of dozen of them. But it made sense for both clubs. Other clubs need other clubs' systems, you know, to supplement what they've got. Once you breach that trust, once you once you tell me that there's, well, you know, we didn't tell you everything that everybody else tells you. There's the, how do you trust them on, farther down the line? Well, you know, how do you know <laughs> that there's not more stuff? I, I, I do believe that in order to be a you know, competitive team, you have to have solid relationships. Do, do do the other, you know, rival GMs have to like you per se, your personality? No, but, you know, if they pick up the phone and call you and say, is this guy available? And, you know, you make a trade. I think there's that professionalism that needs to be there and saying, hey, just don't screw me over. I mean, hey, I don't care if this guy ends up panning out to be the player I think he's going to be, or, you know, I don't care if I just gave up the next Derek Jeter. Right, that's just on you. Just yeah. don't withhold information where you know it can screw me over and make us look stupid because, you know, no one wants to look stupid. And, you know, when players start getting hurt and it costs people money and insurance companies start paying stuff. And, right. And then now it's going to become an issue where Major League Baseball gets involved. So they're going to start digging. And I uh, I, I don't I don't uh, really believe that A.J. Priller, I think he's going to want to take a little vacation to La Jolla. There's, uh, there. there's another piece to this that's, uh, that's got me burning a little bit. We'll get to that on the other side of a quick break. But White Sox fans, you can celebrate your culture with Hispanic Heritage Night on September 30th, it's presented by Miller Lite. There will be Latin music and dancing special activities for kids in the on-field parade. Get the post-game fireworks show. Of course, it's not just a good time. It's Miller time, the official beer of your Chicago White Sox. Tickets start as low as $10 to purchase. Visit whitesox.com slash NHH. Again, that's Hispanic Heritage Night on September 30th. Uh, he's Brian Anderson. I'm Connor McKnight. We got more White Sox Weekly when we come back here on WLS AM 890. Big John and Ray. Weekday mornings 5 to 9. WLS AM 890. you got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. He is Brian Anderson. And we've got about, uh, I don't know, 43 three minutes or so before we kick off the pregame festivities for the White Sox and Royals this afternoon. We're talking a little bit about this, uh, the San Diego Padres, the AJ Preller stuff. Uh, I want to get into a couple things about today's ball game before we wheel back around to the trade issues with the Padres, Brian. Um, I don't know that you've seen it. I, I just kind of saw it last night. Jason Vargas is making his 2016 debut for the Kansas City Royals. That guy's still pitching. He Good is for him. still pitching. Good for him. I lost ten bucks. I mean, <laughs> thirty-three years old. He uh, he had a Tommy John surgery. He's coming back and making his debut this year. He's going to be on a forty-five pitch limit or thereabouts. You know, I mean, we get told these limits and then they're never really those limits because why would it? I just I had to ask though. If you're in a lineup today, right? 
and you're facing a guy that you know is only going to be in there for X amount of pitches that has a limit to him. Does it does it make you think, all right, I'm going to I'm going to anchor the bat to my shoulder and make him throw as many as he can and then he'll just get out of here and then we'll move on with our day? Or does it does it make you think, all right, well this guy probably has very little. I'm jumping on the first fastball I get cuz I can ride him out of the ballpark. I think it's option number 2. I mean, nothing against Jason Vargas, but I think if Clayton Kershaw comes back on a pitch count. Sure. You sit down and you go, hey, guys, let's take a strike. You know, let's get two, three, four pitches no matter what. It makes sense, right? It adds up. He'll be out of there in the third inning. But, you know, a couple of things. I think that 45 pitch count is probably a little loose. I think they'll let him go back out as long as he's under 45 pitches. I think if he's, you know, over 45 coming out of an inning, they'll shut him down. Uh, you know, the only people that hate Jason Vargas right now is his bullpen. Um, <laughs> the, the, it's not his fault, but um, – the little experience I did have, I mean, if the bullpen's on short rest or guys are getting banged out a little bit and they, uh, you know, getting hit around, it's just they all know it's, hey, guys, this is us from the fourth inning on, if we're lucky. Well, I know they've got – it's it's going to be, let's see, Var, Dylan G is going to come in as the, you know, the second starter, I guess. And G's got, you know, he, he's got a handful of innings under his belt. He's a seasoned starter, or at least is stretched out. So I, I'm, it's not holding it off or handing it off to the entire bullpen, but you're right. I mean – regardless of how this goes, you're asking him to kind of get out of rhythm. These are the kind of things that, I don't know, it just kind of struck me as a, as a strange thing for the Kansas City Royals to do at this point in the season. And I think this is, you know, in this week, this weekend, in the next two weeks, we start to see, see teams who um, know they're not going to make a run at the playoffs, who know that they've got some time to get around to other guys. That Royals team was in the World Series the last two years. And I guess it's just weird, strange. I mean, it happens to everybody who's who's made runs. It's kind of strange to see them going, all right, you know, we got to, we gotta get 45 pitches to Jason Vargas today because that's where we're at in our in our season. It's kind of strange. Well, I have a pretty decent memory, but I'm pretty sure that the Royals gave Jason Vargas some serious cash. So, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that it's gonna really help this season, but I'm sure they'd like to take a look at him and see what he's capable of doing and see if there's still some juice in the tank. I mean, if they have him for any other uh, any other time other than this year, I mean, they gave him some cash. I know he signed a big league deal. Or big deal the last couple of years, but um, yeah, I mean they got enough long guys in the bullpen. They can probably come in, like you said, Dylan G will come in and get the job done. But <clears throat> again, 45 pitches. The only time that that happens that they're going to let a guy come in and do that, it was when a GM and a team basically yeah. knows they're out of contention. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Eight and a half next season for Jason Vargas, and that's a rotation too. Who they they were searching for answers. Edinson, Edinson Volquez had an awful start to the season. Uh, and really, they didn't find an ace of that rotation until Danny Duffy came in, took the reins, got stretched out some, and it started pitching really well. And that's after he had bounced up and down out of the bullpen and into the rotation a couple of times himself, too. So, yeah, Vargas makes sense as a guy you know, they can hopefully look to to soak up some innings well, that's the, next season. I mean. That's the crazy thing about baseball. I mean, when we won it in 2005... You know, even as a player and fans as well. I mean, I've, we've all been baseball fans our whole life. Everyone always thinks, hey, man, like this this team that we have, this is going to be like this for at least this amount of time. And nothing could be farther from the truth or further from the truth. It's it's insane. I mean, they've been the, the World Series the Royals have the last two years. And look at how quick things can get dismantled. I mean, yeah. you got trades, injuries, guys not performing. Just so many things can go wrong in a season in baseball because there's so many games. It's almost incredible when things go right. Well, yet you look at uh, a rotation like the White Sox in 05 that stayed healthy the entire way through. And then what they did, you know, obviously in the postseason, the actual performance in the postseason by that rotation. Uh, and then you look at how 
they were able to, you guys were able to go through three different closers throughout the course of one season and find success in, in pretty good terms from each and every one of them. I, I can't think of a team that's found success from three different closers, much less won a division and or won a playoff series. Well, you know what doesn't hurt is when the last closer of the three throws 104. Yeah, that helps. And he throws an 87-mile-an-hour 12-6 curveball. That helps. That never hurts your team. I know that. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. He's Brian Anderson. I'm Connor McKnight. Uh, when we come back after the 5 o'clock news, because I know I'm going to do a little producing on air. What do we, you need like 58, something like that? We take this for another minute or so and then get you the news. I don't want to get in trouble with the higher-ups. You know, we got to get the 5 o'clock news they'll on. They'll can you, man. Uh, they'll, they'll get rid of you. They will. They absolutely will. My replacement's in the wings. Um, so what I'm thinking is when we get back, I have a couple questions to – I have a list – of questions I like to ask former big leaguers. We're going to go through those. I haven't told you about this at all. Well, be careful because I, sh- I shoot straight. No, and that's – okay, so just as, that's what I want. I, I want the <laughs> I want the straight shot. And we'll also go through – there was one more – there's one little addendum to the uh, San Diego Padres, the A.J. Preller story that I want to get to, too, when we come back here. That's all coming up next on White Sox Weekly, WLS AM 890. WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. He's Brian Anderson, former White Sox outfielder, with us this afternoon on special, on loan. Uh, appreciate you hanging out. Last couple of minutes here before we send it off to the pregame show. A couple of things I wanted to get to. Uh, one thing, just wanted to wrap things up with this this AJ Preller stuff, right? The San Diego Padres, the issue there that they had reporting medical stuff. What What bugged me, I think, most in all of this is that the Padres have said it wasn't intentional. They didn't try and deceive anybody. They weren't trying to, you know, gain a leg up or whatever. If that's the case, I I don't understand how you can separate. They made two different files. That is, in and of itself, deception. And I'm not quite sure how I'm feeling about being told one thing and clearly seeing the other. Well, that word try is funny because – when you start and talk about millions and millions of dollars and guys that can be a key piece to putting you over the edge and getting you to the playoffs and then crazy stuff happens, no one wants to hear A.J. Preller and what he was trying to do. Right. They, they all want to hear about what did you give us. We don't care what your intentions were. We don't care what you're trying to do. The bottom line is you are now known as the guy that gives, you know, gives up players that have, you know, bum knee, bum shoulder, bum arm. I mean, you're known as that guy, and you're going to have to gain that trust back from other GMs, and that's not easy. I mean, there's only 30 of these guys, so right. I mean, you, you piss off you know, five or six, seven of them, all of a sudden that snowballs, no one's going to talk to you. We will see if the uh, if the ramifications of this stuff is, is any bigger than just the 30-day suspension for A.J. Preller. The Padres are also fined an undisclosed amount. Um, the front office there has largely stood behind, or the ownership there, I should say, has largely stood behind A.J. Preller. Uh, they brought him in. We're pretty stoked about him. Uh, and so far, because I know as a White Sox fan, you're wondering, uh, so far the reports have said that, yes, um, officials with everybody who made trades with the Padres were upset about this uh, to a pretty high degree. But the only one that came under um, massive amounts of, of, of scrutiny has been the Drew Pomerantz deal with the Red Sox so far. But that, that doesn't mean that, 
you know, investigations won't go any farther. Uh, you've got the White Sox and Royals in just a little bit. It'll be Miguel Gonzalez uh, against Jason Vargas tonight. Miguel has pitched really well. I know he's one of your uh, more favorite guys to watch. Yeah, I went out to the uh, snuck to a game a couple weeks ago or last week. I went and saw him pitch against Detroit, and you know it's crazy. He's not a huge guy. No. And you look at him out there, and you're like, wow, like this guy's got electric stuff. So you know, and then you look at the stats, and you look that he's got a 380 RA, and you know, in the AL Central, make a lot of money with a sub four no ERA. Kidding. No kidding. You eat, if you eat up innings and you have a sub four ERA, you make a lot of money. And being four and six, that's not. We just talked about how the record doesn't matter; it's no. arbitrary. But yeah. For those people listening at home and the fans watching, when someone's got a four and six ERA or a four and six record, it's it's uh it's not as fun. I mean, it looks a lot better on paper when the guy's eight and two. Yeah, you know, he came back too. If before the disables, he had two wins. Came back in his first two starts, got wins. It's the same ball club that he's pitching in front of. It's just you know matter of happenstances to when you earn those and when you don't. Certainly, you know, if you're better, if you're really good and keeping it in a two, I I think Miguel Gonzalez is a guy that I wouldn't mind at all seeing on the 2017 White Sox. I think he's a guy that you could probably get for a reasonable deal. But like you said, you know, keeping those numbers to where he is and if that groin injury has has kind of subsided, if he's healthy, he's going to get callers. He's going to no get a doubt. couple I of mean, teams. Just based on the, the innings I saw him throw was, I mean, there's no doubt he's easily a uh, your number five, number four or five guy, depending on which team you're on, and then let him, you know, ease up to that 3-2 spot if he – shows consistently that he can go out and do it. But there's no question this guy could pitch as a starting pitcher on any major league team. You think about where the Baltimore Orioles are right now with uh, with Dylan Bundy, you know, coming up against an innings limit with that rotation being just, you know, we'll hope it holds together. We'll see what happens. How do, I you, mean, have an in, how do you have an innings limit when you're 19? You know, I mean, he's, Dylan Bundy's 24. Yeah. I know. I thought I, I, I think Dylan Bundy is going to perpetually be a 19-year-old to me. Like he's just always gonna feel like he's 19. I know, and unfortunately, I mean, the the bad part is, is you, you know deep down he, he wants to pitch. Oh, absolutely. But you can only hear about someone being a prospect for so long, and and then oh well, we're gonna limit it. This to this is a completely different subject. We could talk about another time, but sure. nothing gets me going more than this whole like, well, let's protect him because in in a year or two from now, you know, we we, we don't want to damage his career. We don't we hit he hit his innings limit. That whole Steven Strasburg thing. I mean. You just paid him a hundred, hundreds of millions of dollars. What are you saving him for? Right. There's no guarantees in baseball. There's no guarantees that this guy could, his arm could blow out. Look, he just got hurt again. It's like these guys are like, well, we're saving him because in three years we're gonna have this team. They don't know that. GMs don't know that. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you have a chance to win, you go win. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And Matt Harvey, another guy who comes to mind on that. You know, the, the innings limit came up last season as the Mets were making their terrific run. And Harvey, there's a lot of weird conversation and communication back and forth and eventually he just kept pitching you know i mean he, he stayed out there what came back in for a ninth inning that maybe he shouldn't have didn't go the mets way but he was back out there and gaming a uh, couple of questions that i want to run down we're going to do this is a uh, former my my uh, former major leaguer brian anderson well the, the first one is yes i did just crash a reese's peanut butter cup so okay that's right. the it's answer is yes the now uh do you prefer the normal reese's peanut butter or and i know you didn't have time for it but in other words a lot of people like to freeze them a lot you got to freeze. Uh, last them. night, my girlfriend brought home, God bless her, the deep dish, like the big extra large Reese's peanut butter cups. And she hates them stuck in the freezer, but she threw them in there for me oh, because she cares. That's a keeper. A keeper. Yeah, hold you on. to take that, that to the bank. Toughest pitcher you ever faced. Oh, my gosh. You know, I had the luxury of my first full season getting to face Johan Santana and. 
and uh, CC Sabathia over and over and over and Cliff Lee and over and over. And that just was that, that nothing kills your confidence more than just having those guys, you know, just shove it on you. And, and that's stinks. But I had a couple home runs off Felix Hernandez, but I can distinctly remember more than those home runs is I didn't sniff another pitch off that guy in the following six to 10 at bats, whatever it is. Yeah, I have two home runs off him, but when that guy started to learn that he could throw his change up at 90 miles an hour at, at any time, I remember working a 3-1 count, and I was leading the game off uh, out here in Chicago in 2008 or nine, and he threw me like a 3-1. I don't even know what it was, like a change up or a fastball, but it dropped so much and blew me up. I just remember running to first base, be like, if that's what I do 3-1, what am I going to do 0-2 off that guy? Easiest pitcher you ever faced. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember facing any pitcher in particular. I, I know I've always had good numbers off Justin Verlander. Sure. And n- not to say he's going to be one of the greatest to ever play the game. It's just Justin is such a dominant, such a you – know, pitches with such a conviction that he usually comes after you. And I never had problems with the guys that came after me throwing, throwing mid-high 90s out over the plate. So I always really had a, a an easier time hitting off him because he challenged you early. He threw 95, 96, but I never had a problem with that. It was the guy that, you know, threw this oh oh change up or threw a sinker in on my hands and I didn't let it go and and uh you know, I got myself out. But Justin Verlander was probably my favorite guy to pitch only because he gave me the best pitches to hit. This could be an easy one considering you, but your favorite, your own personal favorite professional baseball memory. Oh man. I mean, I, I can't narrow it down to one. There was uh Really? I I mean, we won the World Series. That was great. But, you know, I wasn't really contributing much during the actual yeah, World Series. Would you have, Series, like, 15 but... plate appearances that year, I think? I mean, that was no, your first. No, 30-something. 30-something, but, 30 something, something, but, yeah, I mean, I had a couple home runs that were key uh, against Felix when we were kind of in the stretch, going no down the stretch there. And uh, in 2008, just something as little as making that diving catch to put us into the playoffs against the Twins. I mean, that that was a great memory. Um just just playing the big leagues in general is amazing. I mean, but just getting drafted, I'd say probably getting really? drafted, spending that time with your family, oh, cool. going out. I, I was a huge Dodgers fan growing up, and they just so happened to be playing them in interleague. They flew me out. I took BP. Billy Koch, like, bent my hat. And I think I was wearing a, an extra medium T-shirt with, like, some really small pants that were unacceptably tight. Right, right. And I remember just hitting – few home runs during batting practice at Dodger Stadium and was like, this is it. This is amazing. That's a pretty cool place to do that. Yeah, it was great. Most embarrassing moment in Pro Bowl. Oh, you know, we were just talking about this the other day. The fans wouldn't know this, but Ozzy and I were joking um, the other day. I was in Minnesota, and I mean, I was just, my head was in the clouds or something, but I had, you know, you'd run out, sometimes you run out of clothes, like on the, on a road trip, you're like, oh, I didn't pack enough, uh, right. whatever. And for some reason, I just I went to the field and I had a nice collared shirt on, I had a nice pair of shoes on, and I thought that wearing some Docker shorts was <laughs> going to be acceptable. And I walked in there with some laundry, and Greg Walker, Harold Baines, everyone was looking at me like, "What are you on?" And I remember looking, I'm like, "What's wrong with you? I look like I could go to like a golf outing right now. I look fine." And I didn't know in my experience, I had a couple years playing, I mean, a few years of pro ball, that wearing shorts on the road was just not going to cut it in the big leagues. In the White Sox organization, you wear suits? Yeah, and Ozzy came into the bathroom. I think I just, like, was shaving or something, and he came in and lit me up. I mean, 
to the point where I thought we were going to go to blows only because <laughs> I was still in such shock that it was such a big deal, even though looking back now it was 100% right. my fault. Clearly. But he was just laying into me, and I just couldn't – in my mind was thinking, like, well, what the heck is this guy's problem? Like, he's just he's let me have it. But now that I look back, I'm thinking, what was I thinking? I wasn't thinking. There you go. Brian, appreciate you hanging out this afternoon, man. I appreciate you having me. Hopefully we see this, see my ugly mug again. No, absolutely. We'd love to have you on again. Uh, good talking with you, and hopefully next uh, next time we do talk, we've got another uh, GM scandal to, to get into because that, uh, that was a good time. Well, worst case, I'll just call, make Rick Hahn call in, and I'll, there you go. I'll make him some answer some questions he doesn't want to answer. We'll put a scandal on the, uh, on the show here. Brian Anderson, thanks so much, man. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Uh, you can join us for the last regular season home game. The White Sox face the Twins on Sunday, October 2nd at 2.10 for Fan Appreciation Day. Hundreds of prizes will be given away throughout the game for tickets. Visit WhiteSox.com. Other side of a commercial break, we will uh, we'll jailbreak Brian Anderson here. We'll come back with the week that was in White Sox baseball. The highlight reel will get you every single White Sox weekly. And, of course, we're coming up to the pregame show here at 5.35, too. I'm Connor. You've got White Sox on WLS AMA 90. So, closing it up here on White Sox Weekly, a couple things we do every single week. We get you the week in review, the week that was in White Sox baseball. We'll also get you a couple of latest of the news and notes. We'll get to them in the pregame show, too. Uh, A couple of injuries, a couple of lineup workings for the White Sox. But I do want to tell you that you can join us on October 2nd. It's the final Family Sunday of the season. It is presented by Coca-Cola. Tickets are as low as 5 bucks in the upper level. 15 in the lower level. There's special kid-focused activities throughout the ballpark, plus parking available for only 10 bucks. That's maybe the best part of the whole thing. Visit whitesox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. So, White Sox had themselves a 6-4 and four homestand. They took one from the Royals in comeback fashion last night. It's been a pretty good week of White Sox baseball, and as such, I'm informed that the week that was is is a fairly lengthy one. There are a lot of good highlights. There are a lot of good moments here for the White Sox. So live it up. Here it is, your week in review. One ball, two strikes. Sale trying to bag Merrifield. The pitch struck him out swinging. He's got 200. Congratulations to Chris Sale. There's 200 strikeout in the season. He's not done that once. I think it's the third or fourth consecutive year he's reached that plateau of 200 strikeouts in a season. Bases filled. Royals lead 1-0. And the pitch to Cabrera fouled up here. Darren got up, made the pay right over my head. That was a rocket. He caught it. Then had a ticket. Back up by your daughter, didn't it? I, yeah, I had to protect the people in the area. Field one, a swing and a long one left center field. This is tagged bagged and gone to the bleachers in left center four three socks turn on the fireworks three balls two strikes two down eighth inning and the three two high and deep left center field this could be his 36th pitch track at the wall he has hit his 36 and the white Sox now lead 11 to four that ball was high deep and gone the pitch is out frazier a line drive up the middle that's through for a hit anderson walks in cabrera follows davis has the ball and hasn't thrown it in yet Two-run single by Frazier. Sanchez, the third baseman, hit by a pitch last time up. He's 0-for-1 officially, and Otero looks at second base at Frazier on the deal. A swing and a line drive to right. That's going to find the comfort of right field. That goes to the wall. That's going to get one in for sure, Frazier. Garcia around third. He's coming home. The relay. Not time. The third is Sanchez. 
The White Sox have broken this game wide open here in the sixth. The 3-2. That's a ground ball. The first hit the bag. Frazier knocked it down with his hand. Caught it in the air. It flips to the pitcher. Hang a star on that one. Hello. That was 3-3-1. That is a great grab by Todd Frazier. Had the glove down towards the ground, ready to field that ball if it went over first. Well, it didn't. It hit the bag and went over his head. He reached up with the throwing hand, knocked it out of the air, and then caught it with his throwing hand before tossing it onto first. Nice job. You know, the deal's the first one. A swing and a fly ball, deep center field. This is charged. Going back at him, Eden at the track. Leaps at the wall and makes the catch. Amante at second base will make a U-turn in the 3-1. Amante swings, chops it to first. Frazier on the charge has it, flips to the pitcher. A dive for the bag with his speed sliding. Shields, and he got him. That's 3-1. That's a heck of a play by Jim Shields. Almost ran by the bag without tagging it. 0-1, the 0-1. The Ramirez, a line drive the left. This is trouble. Cabrera on the move. Towards the line, makes the catch. That's going to get a run home. Martinez comes home. It's a sacrifice fly, RBI. That's a heck of a play by Cabrera on left. You are not kidding. I didn't think he was going to get there, to be honest with you. That's our grab of the game. And Shields deals the first one. A swing and a foul over there by... Uh, Connor McKnight, but he's uh, he was over here a few moments ago. Does he have the windows closed over there again? No, no, that went in, and he was not paying attention. That almost clocked him. Yeah, you, you, you got the ball game. You got to pay attention yeah. over there, Connor. He needs to run with runners in second, third, and the ninth, and a one-two. Struck him out swinging. That's gone, David. Back-to-back hooks, partner. We need a hit to win this ball game and then go to Kansas City. We're in the ninth. One and two, the count on Sanchez. Louis Garcia at second base. And the one-two pitch. Swing a line drive. Left center field. Drop it fast. This could do it. Around third. Coming home. Garcia. The throw. Not in time. Sox win. Sox win. On a single by Sanchez. And beat the Indians to the bottom of the ninth. Two to one. There was never a doubt. Had it all the way. And the pitch from Sale. A swing and a line drive. Humpback liner to center. On the move. Comes to center field. They're diving. Did he make the catch? Garcia robbed them of a hit. One out. Runners at first and second. The 3-2 to Sanchez. Swinging a high fly ball to right. Down the line. Burns with a long run to the track. He's hit the fence. It's gone. A three-run homer. Sox do take the lead on a high fly that went out of here. Inside the pole and right. And the 3-2 from Sale. Struck him out swinging. Sox do come back and win. And Sale has 10 strikeouts in the game and moves to 16 wins against eight losses. That is your week in review for the Chicago White Sox. A pretty good week, in fact, and hopefully they can uh, stretch it into a good two weeks. They got uh, a couple more against the Royals before they finish out this last road trip of the season. Almost can't believe it's here already. Two against the Phillies in Philly, the off day, and then a couple against Cleveland. Then they return home for four against the Tampa Bay Rays and finish things off with three against the Minnesota Twins. That is the, uh, that's the remainder of the White Sox schedule here in 2016. Still a chance to finish at, uh, at 500, three games under right now. It would be a good stretch of baseball to get themselves back to it, but they have been playing well of late. Uh, and you know, the, the competition that they're going to face, I mean, that's a lot of central teams. You know, you got to finish out with the Royals. The, the Phillies have you know, kind of tailed off in that National League after starting out pretty hot. And then, uh, and then a couple of the Cleveland Indians who, you know, it just kind of depends on where that race is at that point. Uh, if they're able to put away the Tigers in the next handful of days, Tigers have fallen off the pace a little bit in the wild card stretch and subsequently in the AL Central run. Um, so if the Indians have, have clinched, you know, you start to wonder whether, and, and they may not have by next weekend, but um, you start to wonder whether, 
you know, they're going to be playing everybody or they're going to be taking a couple of guys and, and fitting in, getting their rotation set, and making sure that they're ready to go for the ALDS uh, as a division winner. They're going to get to home field. So uh, that's where it sits. Or, or rather, might not, actually. They, they could be chasing it, too, because that AL East is that AL East is ridiculous. Absolutely, that's going to be a really fun race to kind of watch pan out. I know, you know, as you, as you watch the White Sox games, there are certain numbers that you want um, a handful of players to get to. It would be awesome to see Jose Abreu get to the 30 home run, 100 RBI mark. Only one player in major leagues, major league baseball's history, has ever started three seasons, his first three seasons, with 30 dingers, 100 RBI, and that's Albert Pujols. He's headed for the Hall of Fame. Uh, Jose obviously coming in a little bit later in his life than uh, than Albert did. Still a pretty amazing task. We'll see if Jose is able to get there. He is at, uh, what is it, 24 home runs right now, so he needs a handful of dingers. The RBI are probably going to happen for him. He's got 95 right now. You figure 15 games left. Look, you got to hit, uh, what is that, 15 games, five home runs. You need one every three games to get to the, the 500 rack, maybe a little bit over one every three games because you're at 24 you need, you know, one every third game for RBI too. So you're you're right on that pace. You got to stay hot. You have to stay hot, but he can get there. You can join us by the way as the White Sox face the Tampa Bay Rays Thursday, September 29th at 7:10. First 10,000 fans to enter US Cellular Field will receive a White Sox performance t-shirt. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash Thursdays. Uh, a couple of news and notes that I want to get to you. We'll get to this in the pregame show in maybe a little bit more elongated fashion, but wanted to uh, to update you too. Tyler Saladino tweaked a calf muscle last night. You'll hear more from Robin Ventura about it in the pregame show in a couple of minutes here, but tweaked a calf muscle. That's why Tim Anderson came in at short in the ninth inning. Uh, we'll hear from Robin on the latest there. And Justin Morneau apparently having a little bit of a conversation. He's not in the lineup today, but apparently... Only because of the lefty Jason Vargas going, um, and and he's he could be a little bit in shed. He's sat out the last handful with a neck tweak, and apparently was talking with reporters this afternoon. Dan Hayes, CSNChicago.com, uh, tweeting out that Justin may be leaning toward playing again next season, but no decision yet. Also, would have to be the right situation. So, uh, for Justin, who has had a number of quality plate appearances for the White Sox, tough ones too. Um, I mean, tough at bats. I mean. You know, that would be a spot the White Sox could, you know, theoretically, depending on which way they're going, or or even if they were, maybe even regardless of which way they're going, there's a lefty bat there that can get some DH work that can hopefully, when Justin Morneau is, is fully and 100% healthy, return to first base and get Jose Abreu a couple of breaks in the field. Although that's tough to convince Jose to take a day off and DH. Uh, Justin's a guy who's able to do that, and it'd be interesting to see if he's enjoyed his time here, if he's if this is a situation that does indeed work out well for him, uh, whether the White Sox were able to bring him back and whether they uh, whether they find a spot for him. Of course, all that is predicated on whether Justin Morneau wants to come back and put in a 16th Major League season. That does it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thank you so much for listening and calling and texting. A special thank you to Brian Anderson. Former White Sox outfielder who uh, joined the show this afternoon. I think you might be hearing from Brian a couple of times uh, throughout the course of the offseason. Good guy. We also have to thank Adam Eaton, another good guy, for coming on the show. White Sox outfielder, current White Sox outfielder. We talked a little gold glove with him, uh, and we'll be sending uh, we'll be sending thank you cards, hopefully. Thank you cards to the Rawlings Company 
uh, in about uh, two months or so. We also say thank you to Don Kleppen, our engineer for the show, and I guess we'll thank Jonathan Bregman, too. There was work done. It was absolutely work done. So that does it for us. White Sox pregame show starts in just a couple of minutes. Your next White Sox Weekly is next Saturday. Two more in the regular season. So we'll wrap up things for the 2016 White Sox over the next two weeks. I'm Connor McKnight. Stay tuned because there's more White Sox baseball next on WLS AM 890.